The first reading is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And the second reading is John 21, verses 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when, you're, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fantastic. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we pray now that uh, as we come to reflect on your word, that you would unstop our ears and soften our hearts. Pray that your spirit would speak through the words that I've prepared. Lord God, may we, each of us here today, hear your word to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I'm sure that uh, many of you have gathered here today to kind of find out what's this new vicar really all about. What's he like? What's his story? And I'm sure that some of you have come with questions thinking... Uh, what's he going to do now that he's in charge? 
Uh, maybe some of you are feeling a sense of excitement and the, you're energised by, by new things and uh, things being different. And others of you will be here feeling a sense of concern around how are things going to change now that we have a new vicar uh, and a sense of maybe some kind of anxiety. Uh, and so I guess that I come to say, first of all, that I, I come to join in with what you're already doing. Uh, I know that Paul and Joe for a long time have uh, led the church here and uh, set a vision and a direction. Uh, and I anticipate kind of joining in with the direction of travel that has already been set. However, I am a new vicar uh, and I am different and I will do things in a different way so undoubtedly there will be some changes uh, and some of you will probably struggle with that and others of you will be energized by that but we will seek to move forward under God's guidance and leadership together as we seek to discern how he is leading us forward in this new chapter in the life of uh, Christchurch down end. But I suspect that many of you are kind of wanting to know a little bit more about what my story is. So I thought that I would try and weave that into some of my sermon this morning so that you would start to get a bit of a flavour of who I am, so that you can kind of start to understand a bit more about what makes me tick and what's kind of part of my backstory. Uh, a few weeks before I left St Mark's, I was chatting with my spiritual director, and uh, he was encouraging me to think really carefully about uh, the first words and the last words that you speak anywhere. He said they're kind of like a, the bookend on a bookshelf. The things that people often remember are the first words that, that you say when they meet you and the last words. So I thought quite carefully about my last sermon at St. Mark's and, and in fact used Philippians 1 as the basis of that uh, sermon. But today, uh, I, I felt really inspired to kind of use the words from John chapter 21 as the kind of the framework or the basis for my first sermon to you today. So thinking and bearing in mind that first words and last words are often important. Uh, for those of you that might know, in the book of Matthew, the first words that Jesus says to his disciples are, follow me. And those are the first words he speaks in the Gospel of Matthew, follow me. And the very last words that he speaks in the Gospel of Matthew are also to his disciples. And he says, go and make disciples. So that book ending in the Gospel of Matthew reveals to us that the life of Jesus is all about discipleship. And I know that at the heart of uh, your recent journey here at Christchurch has been that emphasis on whole life discipleship here at Christchurch. And that's something that really excites me. Uh, and that's something that's been part of uh, my story and the story of the church that I've been part of leading up in Harrogate for the last six or seven years. An emphasis on discipleship and whole life discipleship and what that looks like and how you equip people to be able to do that day by day, uh, week by week. Now, for those of you that were here on Tuesday night for my licensing, you will have heard Bishop Lee speaking on the call of Peter uh, and the call to, to Peter to follow Jesus. So if that was the start of, of, of Peter's journey of discipleship, then John 21 has got to be kind of pretty close to being the ending. And it was certainly the last encounter uh, 
or one of the last encounters that he had with Jesus. And I guess that that's really what I want to focus on this morning is an encounter with Jesus and how that changes and transforms life. Now, for Peter, his story has been uh, somewhat up and down. If you go back to the Gospels and think of the occasions when Peter has been prominent, there are many ups, but there are also quite a number of significant downs in Peter's life. There are times when Peter has got it monumentally wrong. Uh, I love Peter because uh, when looking at him, he's someone that I guess I think I can easily identify with. It seems to me that so often Peter would open his mouth uh, and start speaking before he'd engaged his brain. It's like he would open his mouth and climb in with both feet. He, he kind of kept dropping himself in it time and again. Maybe you remember in Matthew 17 and the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus goes up the, the mountain with Peter, James, and John. Uh, the cloud comes down and Elijah and Moses appear with Jesus on the mountain and God says, the, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, and Peter obviously doesn't know what to say or what to do and he sees uh, Moses and Elijah standing there with Jesus and he sort of says, well, why don't we build you all a shelter so you've got something to sit in? <laughs> it's like he doesn't kind of quite know what to do or what to make of it, so he just says the first thing that pops into his head, which is, okay, let's build you all a tent or a shelter to sit in. He doesn't kind of get what's going on. Jesus revealing that this is his son that he loves and with whom he is well pleased. Or maybe in Matthew 14, you're familiar with the occasion when... Uh, Jesus is deciding to go up a mountain to pray with his father. And he says to his disciples, you guys get in the boat uh, and you sail across to Galilee and I'll join you on the other side the next day. The disciples get in their boat and they set sail and it's in the evening. A storm blows up and the boat starts to get buffeted by the wind. And it's at that point that Jesus walks past them, almost past them on the boat. And Peter sees Jesus and he calls out and he says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And what happens? Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on water towards Jesus. And until after a few moments, he obviously takes his eyes off Jesus and starts to sink into the water. And, and, and Jesus grabs him and saves him. Do you know that's the only other person recorded to have walked on water is Peter. But what do we remember? I guess that most of us remember that in fact he sank in the water because of his lack of faith. Not that actually he got out of the, water, water, got out of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. What we remember is the failure, the sense that he lacked faith and began to sink. Or what about the occasion in Matthew 16 where Jesus has been performing miracles and the Pharisees have been questioning who he is. And so he turns to his disciples and he says to them, who do you say I am? And, G and Peter says, well, you're the Christ. You're the, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one, the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one that's come to right uh, the, all, all that's wrong. And uh, then Jesus goes on to say, 
I, well, he kind of says, uh, uh, he predicts his death and says that he's going to have to die. And Peter turns to him and he says, no, that can't be true. That can't be what's going to happen. No, that's not right. But Jesus turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter's completely misunderstood the nature of Jesus being the Messiah and what he, need, he came to earth to do. And so Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Don't try and tempt me to do something that I'm not here to do. Peter's misunderstood and got it badly wrong. Or the time in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 18. Jesus knows that he's going to be facing crucifixion the following day. And he goes to the garden to pray for God's strength to go through with what God has asked him to do. And he takes his best friends, Peter, James and John, to pray. And they kneel down and they sit alongside Jesus and he goes a little way further forward and he prays, but they all fall asleep. And then a few verses later, Judas arrives with the Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus. Uh, and Peter's there, uh, and we read in the gospel that he uh, removed the, he chopped the ear off of the servant of the high priest. Jesus puts the ear back on and heals him, and they move on. And then a few verses later, Peter's following at a distance. And they go into a courtyard and he's watching Jesus put on trial. And someone comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you one of the Galileans? Aren't you one of those people that hung out with Jesus? And he says, no, no, I'm not a Galilean, not me. And a bit later on, the same question comes up. Hey, aren't, aren't you one of the Galileans? Aren't you one of Jesus' friends? No, no, not me. And then a third time, aren't you a follower of Jesus? No, not me. I never knew him. Peter completely denies him. You know, this is monumental, catastrophic failure of uh, epic proportions. He's denied even knowing Jesus or being a friend with him. And yet this was his rabbi, his master, his leader, his friend. And he's denied knowing him. And what we have here in John 21 is an amazing encounter between Jesus and Peter. Peter has got it so badly wrong, has so badly let Jesus down, denied even knowing him. And Jesus asks him this question. Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And so Jesus says, what, so feed my sheep. And they ask him again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. We'll feed my sheep. And then the third time. And I guess that what I see here in this passage is Jesus inviting, re-inviting Peter into that covenantal relationship of love. Jesus is Forgiving Peter, denying him and letting him down. He's offering him his grace and his love and his forgiveness. And he's saying, I'm here, I forgive you. My love is still holding on to you. I haven't let go. 
You've let go of me. You've denied me, but I've not let go of you. Do you love me? And he asked him three times, and each time Peter says yes. And then he says, so feed my lambs. Peter's story is the story of Jesus' love being bigger than our mistake, any mistake that we make. Jesus' love is bigger than all the mess-ups we can make. It's the story of Jesus' limitless love and grace and forgiveness. Jesus forgives Peter and he reinstates him as his follower and his friend. And then he commissions him with a task to go feed my sheep. He's invited into a covenantal relationship and then equipped for a kingdom responsibility to feed my sheep. Peter's forgiven. He's drawn into a deeper relationship of love with Jesus. And at the same time, he's called to step out and pastor and lead God's people. And I guess that when I look at my own story, what I see is uh, an encounter with Jesus that so transformed my life. Receiving God's grace and forgiveness equipped me to step out and go where he called me to go. So let me just share with you, very briefly, <clears throat> uh, I was born and brought up in a little village in Surrey. I went to a small village Anglican church with my parents for a number of years. Uh, and at the age of about 17, my best friend's dad was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, and within three months, he was, he was dead. Uh, and when we got that diagnosis that he had cancer, uh, I was so distressed that I thought, I, I need to pray for God's healing. I'd heard about God healing people. I'd, read, I'd heard talk to me in Sunday school that God heals people. And so I thought, I'm going to pray for something unselfishly. And I'm going to pray for someone else's healing, not something that I want. And I, I kind of thought that God would hear that prayer and he would answer it. Well, unfortunately, my best friend's dad did die. Uh, and it left me with so many un unanswered questions. It left me with a sense of anger and disappointment at feeling let down by God. Why had he done this? And why had he left three boys without, three young boys without a father? And so I decided if that's what God was like, I wanted nothing more to do with him. And so I turned my back on God and I turned my back on the church and I walked away. I thought, I can do a better, life, a better job of sorting out my life and leading my life. I don't need God in it. And so, walked away, did my own thing, pleased myself. Uh, I've, you've already heard that I'm passionate about rugby. Well, back in the day, I used to play before my body had given out. Uh, and, uh, and I loved playing rugby. That's what I lived for. Uh, I played at school. I then went away to university. Uh, and, I, and I played and trained all the time uh, until my body was too wrecked to be able to play anymore. Uh, but I, I live for playing rugby 
uh, and, and going out with the lads and having a good time. And uh, after my first year at university, I went back home to my parents for the summer. And I got this letter from the university about two weeks after I'd got home. And it said, Dear Mr. Watts, please don't bother coming back to university in September. <laughs> There's not a place for you any longer. They'd thrown me out because I'd failed my first year exams. I'd spent far too much time playing rugby and partying and not enough time going to lectures. And there was this anger and frustration in me that, about what I had perceived God to have been like. I tried to find fulfillment in many other things that just left me empty and hollow and angry and disappointed and frustrated. And I came home to live with my parents. I got a job working in a pub. Seemed like the ideal job for me. Uh, but I wasn't a very pleasant person to live around. And my parents were getting really uh, tired of, of trying to love me. <laughs> they were at the end of their tether and not knowing what to do or how to parent me or how to help me. Uh, and I was full of anger and resentment and bitterness and frustration. And it got to the point where my parents were about to throw me out of uh, the family home because they needed some peace and quiet. Uh, it was the only thing that would kind of shake me up, I guess. Anyway, one day, uh, my best friends, who were all grown up with me, were in a, a youth club. And uh, they had decided that they were going to go up to London to visit uh, a mission ship called the Anastasis, owned by YWAM and Mercy Ships. It had come to London for the first time in 1990. And so they rang me up and they said, Dan, why don't you come to London and visit this mission ship? <laughs> and this was on the Saturday morning, and I thought, yeah, right. That's going to be great. <laughs> I can't think of any better, anything better than going to see a bunch of Christians on a ship. Anyway, that Saturday morning, I woke up early, and I was fairly bored and didn't really have anything to do, and I was kicking my heels, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just tag along and see what this fuss is all about. So I went to London with my friends. We arrived in Waterloo Station, uh, and we got off the train, and we got onto a, a, um, a riverboat going down to the Docklands. And we were all there having a bit of a laugh. Uh, I was there with my mates and my old youth group leaders. And we arrived at the ship, and it's this huge ocean-going liner that's been converted into a hospital mission ship. It's absolutely vast. And we walked up the gangplank onto this ship, and then I met these people on the door, and there was something so different about them that there was kind of like this arresting churning going on inside me. Uh, I could see that there was something different about these people. We had this tour around the ship, seeing all the good stuff that was going on, and I was just blown away, thinking that all of these people had given up their jobs, their careers, their livelihoods, they sold their houses and they were living on this ship and they had to pay to be on the ship and, and raise support for people to pay their way so they could be on the ship. Uh, and they were going to the poorest people in the world and offering free hospital treatment that they wouldn't get anywhere else. Uh, they were teaching them agricultural techniques, building hospitals and schools. Uh, and I was so blown away by what these people were doing uh, and I was so blown away by the, the kind of the peace 
and the love and the joy that they had in their heart that I thought, they've got something that I really, really want. I don't know what it is, but I want what they've got. So after the end of this tour, we sat down and we then watched a video that had been put together. Uh, and I just thought, I, I've got to find out more about what this is all about. Because these people have got something that I, that I really want. And it was this real, vibrant, lively faith that was so evident in uh, helping these people to do what they were doing. That I thought, that is what I want. So I, we got back on this um, river ship to go back up to the Waterloo station. And as I was sitting there, I was kind of really quiet and all my friends were around there and they were all really buzzing. And I, I'd been really kind of disturbed by what I'd experienced and what I'd seen. And then I heard God say to me, Dan, I want you to join this ship. And I was just like, whoa. You know, I wouldn't even call myself a Christian. What do you mean? You want me to go and be a part of this I thought this was all a bit too weird so I went home and I filled in the application form to join the ship to do kind of a three weeks volunteering uh, and I got back to my youth group leader's house and I said to them look this was so amazing we've got to go back up there the next day we've got to go to this missions evening they're putting on I said we've got to take a group of people and go back up there and they said oh, okay we'll, we'll, we'll do that so I got all my mates together and we all went back out to the ship the following night. And there was a missions evening on uh, and there were a whole bunch of people from the South Pacific Islands. And they were all in their uh, traditional costume uh, and they sang traditional songs. Uh, and then one guy got up to give his testimony. He was a similar age to me. And as I was listening, I thought, man, this guy has gone through some really similar things to me. And I could really identify with his story. And at the end of the story, he said, and then I met Jesus. Uh, and I understood how much he loved me and how much he'd forgiven me. And so I gave my life to serving him and following wherever he called me to go. And when I heard those words, I thought, that's it. That's what I've got to do. I've got to go wherever Jesus calls me to go. I've got to receive his forgiveness. I, I, I want that love for myself. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll go wherever he wants me to go. I, I just want to be, uh, experience that love and that grace and that goodness and that forgiveness for myself. So uh, I was really sitting in my seat thinking, okay, Jesus, this is it. If you want me, if you'll have me, uh, I'm yours. Uh, and I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. And I handed in my application form to the people on the door, and I said, look, I'm not really sure whether I'm a Christian or not, but if you'll have me, uh, I'll willingly come and serve for three weeks. So we went back to my youth group leader's home that night, and as we were all sitting around talking about what had happened and what had gone on, uh, I then said, I've got something to share with you all. Uh, tonight, I decided that I was going to become a Christian and, and a follower of Jesus, and I'd given my life to, to serving him. And there was this almighty round of applause and cheering, and then they said, at long last, we've been praying for you for years. Thank goodness it's finally happened kind of thing. Uh, so I then got a phone call just over a week later from 
the people on the Anastasis and they said, uh, look, we've received your application and we've decided to give you a place on the ship. Uh, we're sailing for West Africa in two days' time. If you want to be on it, you need to be on this ship <laughs> in two days' time. And so that's what happened. My best friend drove me up to London two days later. I packed a rucksack and, uh, and I went onto the ship thinking that I was going to be there for three weeks. Anyway, it turned out that I was then on board for over a year. Uh, eventually flew home. Uh, and God had so turned my life upside down. He changed my heart. He, he yeah, just completely changed my, the person that I was. So that when I came home, my parents and my sister didn't quite believe it. <laughs> they couldn't really recognize me. I'd changed so much. But it was God's love at work in me, his grace, his forgiveness that restored me and uh, started to recreate the person that God had always wanted me to be. So when I got back home, I, I, I just said to my best friend, look, I don't know what it is that you're doing now, but you, you've got to give up your job and you've got to go and surf on this ship. It is the most mind-blowing experience you will ever have. So he packed in his job and he went out and worked on the ship for uh, five months. And then my sister went and then my three other best friends went on board the ship. And within the space of about 18 months, two years, uh, about six of my closest friends had all gone and, and served on on uh, on one of the mercy ship ships around the world. They'd all encountered Jesus in such a life-changing way uh, that they too came back and their lives were completely changed. So me and my mate, we set up a business uh, building and decorating and doing youth work on the side. Because while I was away on the ship, I'd heard God say, Dan, I want you to work for me full time. Uh, I came back and I told a bunch of people and uh, at the time I thought the only thing that you could do was be a vicar. And the last thing on earth I wanted to be was a vicar. So I went to see someone at the diocese and I said, I think God's calling me to work full time. Uh, and we had a bit of a conversation and he kind of laughed and said, you're too young. You haven't been a Christian long enough. And I said, that's good news. So I don't need to be a vicar. <laughs> so I went home and decided I'll be a youth worker instead. So me and my mate set up this youth work in, the, in our little village church. Uh, and about... Uh, 18 months later, I got a phone call from a vicar in a local church and he said, I'd like you to come and work for me to be my youth worker. Will you give up your, your, your building business and come and work for me? And I said, yeah, okay. So I, I went to work for, for him in this town near the village where I lived and it's where I met my wife. Julia was singing in the choir uh, and we got involved in the youth work there. Uh, so I was then a youth worker for 10 years uh, in a number of different churches. Uh, and then, it was then that I sensed God finally sort of saying, okay, Dan, you've been doing this long enough. You've been running away from being a vicar for long enough. Now's the time uh, I want you to, to come and train and, and be a vicar. And I was like, oh, how am I going to tell Julia this? When we married, when we got engaged, I said to her, I promise I will never, ever be a vicar. Uh, so one morning I woke up and I said to Julia I, I, think, I think God might be saying to me that he wants me to be a vicar and she said yeah I thought so <laughs> uh, so I then went away to train um, and then uh, I was called to Paddock Wood where 
Chris was my training incumbent, and now I'm his boss. <laughs> Isn't that good news? <laughs> so, I, you know, my story is someone who was broken and messed up, who'd made a mess of their life, made loads of mistakes, got it badly wrong. But God's grace, God's love, uh, was big enough to, to cover all the, all the mess-ups that I've made. He forgave me, he restored me, he reinstated me, and he gave me a new calling. Uh, and what I've found is that it's an adventure following Jesus. You never quite know what it is he's going to ask you to do next, where he's going to ask you to go. But his love is strong enough to hang on to me, even when I get it wrong, even when I miss here, even when I make mistakes now. Our God is big enough. His love is limitless that he can cover all of our mess-ups and mistakes. Peter was forgiven. He was drawn into a deeper relationship of love with Jesus. And at the same time, he was commissioned to step out and given a kingdom responsibility to pastor God's people. And so I simply say to you today, or ask you the question, have you been called into that relationship of love with Jesus? Do you, have you experienced his love, his grace, his forgiveness? Maybe you have and maybe you've drifted away. Maybe you've kind of run into a cul-de-sac and kind of stalled. Maybe you've drifted a long way away. I don't know. I don't know where it is that you're at in your journey. You're all new to me. But what I do know is that wherever you are today, however you're feeling, God's love is big enough to reach out to where you are, to take hold of you and to draw you to himself and say, come, follow me. And the good news is, is that not only does he call you into a covenant relationship of love, but he then equips you to step out into a kingdom responsibility. And where he calls, he always equips. All of you have gifts that God has given you that he wants you to use for his kingdom glory. I don't know what they are, but I know that he does. So some of you will be thinking, I haven't got anything. I'm not good enough. I've made too many mistakes. I haven't been to university. I haven't got this. I haven't got that. I don't know what it is. But let me reassure you that God's love is big enough. And that he's calling you, all of you, to step out and respond to the challenge and the kingdom responsibility that he's calling you to step into. And I want to see us all figure out what that is and grow in confidence as we see God's kingdom come, as we see, uh, as we talk about who he is and the encounter that we've experienced and the life-changing love that we've experienced in Jesus, uh, give us the confidence to step out and tell others about that. So let me finish by just using verse 6 of Philippians 1, and it says this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is always at work. He's never sleeping. 
He's never absent. If you're feeling like you've not heard from God speak to you in a while, if you're feeling like it feels God is absent, if it feels like there's not been much happening in your life, take hold of that promise in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. God will finish what he has started in your life. We see that in Peter's story. And he messed up time and time and time again. But God, Jesus never let go of him. And so for each of you out there today, know with assurance that God will complete what he has started in each and every one of you. The call is simply to follow. Okay, I've been preaching way long enough and the children respond, come back and we've still got to have communion so I need to stop. But let's just be still for a moment or two and I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to stir you up and to speak to each and every one of you. Take hold of something that maybe you've heard me say uh, but leave, leave the Spirit to speak to you about the thing that he wants you to take hold of this morning. So let's just pray. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you move amongst us and would you speak to each of us the word that you want us to take hold of individually? Okay, so as we uh, finish, I don't quite know how you do prayer ministry and stuff here, but what I'm going to say is that um, if you feel that God's been stirring something up in you today and you want to respond to something, I'm going to be standing at the back right now. Uh, come and just have a word with me uh, and let me pray for you. And if you want to respond because you feel God's saying to you, okay, today's the day for you to say, yeah, I, I, I want to commit my life to serving you. Come and speak to me and uh, we'll pray at some point in the rest of the service. And if anything else has stirred you up, made you uncomfortable, or you're not quite sure what's going on, come and talk to me. I'm going to be at the back, and we'll pray together. All right, thanks, Paul.